0: This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. If you don't know me, my name is Zach Lutz. I'm pastor here, and I did just go through a wardrobe change. I think that's clear. Just making sure uh, we're all on the same page. Um, We are coming back to our sermon series in 1 Samuel. Uh, We left it for a week as we had Pastor Jarrett with us. Uh, who preached from Jonah, Uh, but we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. And the idea that we're going to be dealing with today is jealousy. And a phrase that I kind of want to stick with us is, jealousy, left unchecked, alienates us from ourselves, our friends and families, and our communities. Jealousy is as old as humanity. Researchers will say that signs of jealousy show up in children as young as six months old. You've met a six month old, you know that already. Greek mythology is full of stories of jealousy between Hera and Zeus's lovers or children from Zeus's affairs. But it's not just there. You guys all know that I'm a sucker for Pixar stories. Uh, toy Story, laden with jealousy, right? Woody and Buzz. Buzz is the new toy that's taking priority in Andy's mind, and Woody seeks to harm Buzz. And there's maybe some more serious consequences than he intended that caused Buzz to fall out of a two-story window, but Woody's jealousy alienates himself from, from himself, from his friends and his family, and from his community to make him into a sad, strange little man who has our pity. Researchers will say that jealousy and envy are very closely related, and I think sometimes we struggle to differentiate them. Um, I'm going to be focusing on jealousy today, but everything that we're going to say in our sermon is going to apply to envy as well. But here's, a, here's a, a separation of jealousy and envy. Envy is a desire for something that you don't have, and jealousy is the feeling when you lose, whether perceived or actual, something that you did have, and you're desperately trying to hold on to it. So envy is the desire for the newest MacBook car, or biggest house, jealousy is the feeling when your best friend starts getting closer relationally with another friend. Can you think of a recent time in your life where you were jealous or envious? I think we all recognize that jealousy left unchecked will consume us, destroy us, alienate us from ourselves, from our friends and families, and from our communities. Our passage today tells the story of a man who descends into madness in his jealousy who lets it go unchecked but in his story we will also learn what we need to fight jealousy and we're going to see that as christians in order to fight jealousy we need to have our priorities straight if you would please stand for the reading of god's word this comes from first samuel chapter 18 this is a long passage um, if it is too long for you and you need to sit, please, there's no shame in that. Um, but just, just fair warning. 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives? My father's plan in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king. But at, that, at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines might be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David, and David said, does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. And Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time it had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. This ends the reading of God's word. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. I mentioned that we'd be talking about jealousy, and in our passage today, we see King Saul being absolutely consumed with jealousy, so much so that it alienates, um, it, it alienates him from himself, from his friends and his family, and from his community. He needed to have different priorities. Now there's three areas where we need to have different priorities that we're going to learn from today to fight against our jealousy, and that is God's glory, God's kingdom, and God's love. If these are not priorities in our lives, we will necessarily be drawn towards jealousy time and time again. So first is God's glory. If you'll remember, we just finished, um, so two weeks ago, we just read the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that's probably familiar to you. And on their travels back to the city, cities in Israel, people are rejoicing. And women came and singing and dancing in verse 6. But suddenly and passionately, Saul was very angry in verse 8. What happened? Well, verse 7 happened. And the content of the singing reached Saul's ears. Saul had struck down his thousands and David his tens of thousands. I think why Saul's jealousy starts is intuitive, like intuitive to us. It just it makes sense right off the bat. Because we're saying, yeah, Saul's the king. And even though David slayed Goliath, right, Saul backed David, gave him his armor, put him forward, and said, yes, you're the Lord's anointed. Go fight Goliath. And yet, when you come back and the people are singing David's praises and they're ascribing to him more glory, we feel that twinge of jealousy. Saul's lost some honor, perceived loss of honor. David is surpassing him. On the face of it, we can all become angry and displeased. We can all become jealous when we lose something to someone else. And so we might think that Saul has a bit of a right to be slighted. Now, Saul might have an understandable emotion of jealousy. We can all understand that it's supposed to be there. But he's wrong to take it out on David. His priorities are actually in the wrong place. His biggest problem is not so much David. It's God. It's God's plan for his life. Let me say it this way. Have you ever experienced jealousy of someone... Because God had plans for your life that you didn't expect. You're not normally jealous of this person. They don't normally, like, uh, everything about their life doesn't necessarily entice you. Maybe it does. But then, all of a sudden, God redirects your life in some ways. And you realize that thing that you were most desiring is suddenly out of reach. And you go, I'm really jealous of them. That fruit of jealousy has its root in your discontentment with God's plan for your life. Saul can't find contentment in God's plan for his life, and it makes sense to us, because God's plan for his life has serious ramifications for his life. How are we supposed to find contentment with God's plan for our life instead of jealousy when it has serious ramifications for our life? Well, there's someone else in our passage who's, when he receives God's plan for his life, it has serious ramifications, and yet he finds contentment with God's plan, and that's Jonathan, look with me in verses 1 through 5. There's this interesting story between David and Jonathan. And maybe to our modern ears, this sounds a little inappropriate, um, as if maybe there were sexual overtones between this exchange of clothing. But the reality is far from that. Jonathan is next in line for the throne. He is prince to Israel. He is to inherit this kingdom. He is to be king. The throne is his by rights, And God's plan changes. God's anointed one is now David. If we go back to David and Goliath, neither Saul nor Jonathan could face Goliath. But God sent his anointed one, David. And when Jonathan experiences this change of plan in his life, rather than turn to jealousy, he looks at God's deliverance And he says, God has the right to change my life as he sees fit. God has the right to change our lives as he sees fit. You see, ultimately, Jonathan had his priorities straight. His priority was not his own glory in his own name, but God's glory in God's name. Jonathan could see the bigger picture. He had met God's anointed one. David had deli- delivered Jonathan and his people from an enemy that Jonathan wouldn't dare fight. And whatever rights Jonathan thought that he was entitled to, he laid at the feet of God's anointed one. Can I say this maybe a little bit more simply? Uh, Jonathan recognized that the story wasn't about him. It's about God's glory. It's about the Lord's anointed one. And I've heard it put this way. The story's not about you. It's not about me. The story is about God's glory and God's anointed one. We're all supporting actors with relatively small parts to play, and the main actor is someone else who receives all the glory. The story is so much bigger than just our own individual stories. The Lord's anointed one, Jesus, has delivered us from our biggest, most evil enemy, sin and death, And whatever rights we thought we had entitled to, to write our own stories, we lay at the feet of God's anointed and say, not my will, but yours be done. To fight jealousy, the first step you need is to realize that the story is not about you. To yield whatever rights you think you have to write your own story, and that God's writing the story for his own glory. Now, I say that, but I think if I do say that, we, we all kind of hear that and we go, so is God just like about his own personal vainglory? Like, am I just a pawn on his chessboard that he doesn't care anything about? Well, let's look at what God's plan was in 1 Samuel. You see, Saul realized something in verse 16. All Israel and Judah loved David. Like any king, Saul deeply desired to be loved by his people. And here, in his jealousy, the deepest desire of his heart was laid bare the love of the people was no longer his, but was David's. Uh, We like to pretend that things don't bother us uh, as much as they really do. You know, we like to kind of like brush them off um, and kind of be a little bit stoic. Uh, Woody does this as well in, in Toy Story. You know, he likes to tell people that like, you know, guys, it's not that big of a deal that Andy doesn't play with you. We're here for Andy, right? And that's easy for Woody to say because he's receiving all the attention. But In his jealousy, becomes very apparent that he desperately desired that just as much as the rest of the toys. I think sometimes we see this in our dating and single lives. Maybe you're dating someone and they break up and they start dating someone else. Or maybe you're single and you look at somebody who has a relationship and jealousy and envy overflow because we desperately desire the attention and love of another person. And our jealousy reveals this deep desire in a way that we don't like. And so we try to play off these emotions. No, it's fine. She's dating someone else. It's cool. The right person will come along eventually. Jealousy is so powerful because it touches on our deepest desires. Our desires to be noticed, cared for, praised, seen. And when that's ripped away from us, and given to someone else, we panic. God is ripping away the deepest desires of Saul's heart and giving them to someone else. Is this just God's random act for his own glory, is Saul just a pawn on his chessboard that God doesn't care anything about? Now, of course, God's plan is always for his own glory, but it's never devoid of benefit for his people. Look with me in verse 14. Why did all Israel and Judah respond with love to David's kingdom? And it's because David's kingdom was better. David had successes wherever he went, and the Lord was with him. The kingdom prospered and benefited all Israel and Judah. Lives were spared. Victory was had. The good guys were winning. Although David's reign was not fully inaugurated, he was not King David yet, foretastes, of the kingdom of God's anointed one were breaking through. And all of the people in Israel and Judah could see it and say, yes. Jonathan not only had to yield to God's glory, but he could see in David something better than what he had to offer. Something better than a kingdom he could build with his own hands. Saul should have recognized that this new kingdom was better for him and better for his people. But instead, Saul descends further into jealousy and more harm. The all-consuming jealousy of our heart won't be cured by simply giving lip service to God's glory. We must serve the new kingdom. In other words, our first point was that we are jealous because we don't prioritize God's glory. And we must yield to the story being about Him. But our second point is that we're jealous because we don't prioritize His kingdom but ours. You see, we might work side hustles be striving to that next degree, that next milestone at work, anticipating the markets, proving to a superior that we deserve the next raise or promotion. And all these things can be good things in and of themselves, but when we prioritize them over building God's kingdom, we will be jealous when those things do not work out. We gave them the higher priority. Are you envious of other people's wives and husbands, lives, bodies, homes, Are you jealous of the successes of your spouse while you are at home? Are you jealous of your peers who have seen successes in their field while you see mediocrity? Or because they got the next assignment they put in for and you didn't? The way to fight against that jealousy is to prioritize building God's kingdom and not your own. What does it look like to prioritize building God's kingdom over our own? Well, one aspect of this is prayer hope that doesn't sound too simple, but it's really, really hard to be jealous or envious of your neighbors or coworkers when your highest priority is praying for their success, when you're praying for their children, when you're praying for their businesses, for their salvation, when your highest priority is God's kingdom. It lessens the power of that jealousy that runs our lives. The power of jealousy can be undercut when we prioritize the building of the kingdom of heaven and not our own kingdoms. Now, this doesn't mean that we all become pastors, monks, or priests. Um, God calls us to a variety of vocations, again, for his own glory. But please know that whatever turn of your story happens, and that twinge of jealousy reveals that you're not okay with God's plan, or God seeking his own glory with what he's doing in your life. Your job at that very moment is to seek to build God's kingdom. Where, God, are you calling me to serve your kingdom? Who am I supposed to be praying for? Where might I give of myself to others during this time? It's not simply just distracting ourselves from the pain of jealousy, although maybe it is a piece of that. It is directing our heart towards the right thing. The highest priority. To fight jealousy, we need to prioritize God's glory, and we also need to prioritize His kingdom. But I think I think there's still this lingering question of our heartache. If I can go back um, to singleness, I I, I remember uh, being single and wanting wanting to be married, and I speak about this humbly, considering that I am now. Like it's easy for Woody to say, and I remember the the pain there of does God see me, and my longings? I know I'm not supposed to be jealous of these other people, or envious of these other people in their situation, but does God see me? How am I benefiting from his kingdom? If you were to read through the rest of 1 Samuel, you'll find that Michal's story, Saul's daughter, is a sad one. But this part of our story is almost a sweet love story with some very grotesque elements, and we're going to get there in a second. Saul first tries to offer David his eldest daughter, Merib, in verses 17 through 19. And the Bible says that Saul's jealous intention is that Merib would uh, somehow persuade, or that uh, the way that Saul phrased his, his question to David, would seek David to try to prove himself among the Philistines, and that the Philistines would kill him. So that way, Saul didn't have to hurl his own spear. He was like, let not my hand be against David, but let the hand of the Philistines. But when the time came... For them to wed, Saul inexplicably gives Merib, his eldest daughter, to Adriel. Now Mikkel is another one of Saul's daughter, and Mikkel loved David. Saul is not a good father. He sees his daughter's deepest desires, doesn't care for them at all, and uses them for his own gain. Saul offers David mickle in the hopes that a bride price would be so extreme that David would perish in the attempt to slay a hundred Philistines. Now, I need to make a couple of asides before we get back to our point. Uh, And that's um, about this slaying of the Philistines for the foreskins. Uh, First, this is a grotesque request. Uh, There's some historical accounts that ancient Semitic peoples, people that lived in the land of Israel that we call today, um, that many of them, more than just Israel, practiced circumcision and that the Philistines did not. We have record in our Bible and other sources as well. And so it could be that Saul just wanted to make sure that he wasn't attacking some of their other enemies, um, but was actually attacking the people that they were were actually at war with, right? They were just fighting Goliath, who was representing the Philistines. And so he wanted to make sure he was (laughs) uh, not starting another war, you might say. Um, But we aren't really told, and ultimately, this probably reveals something about the violent nature of Saul himself, the man who just hurled a spear at another man who was trying to help him. But that's not our only objection to this passage. Our second objection uh, might be the bride price in general. Um, We kind of understand uh, in our Western culture uh, that, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Arranged marriages. Thank you. Um, arranged marriages feel a little off, right? Uh, it seems like they're only used for patriarchal gain, and in our story is a terrible example of where it is. Uh, however, if you were to read accounts from people that live in those cultures, um, arranged marriages doesn't necessarily always have to be abused in this way. But the bride price itself is also problematic. A king orders the death of seemingly 100 innocent people. Maybe they're at a continual war with the Philistines. But this seems a little unprovoked. The Bible doesn't endorse every action that it describes, and the Bible doesn't hide the awfulness of what jealousy can result in. Now David, the good guy, doesn't object, and he even fulfills the request. He actually surpasses the request. He kills not 100, but 200 people. And to understand this, we have to understand that the Philistines are enemies of God's people. Not that they were less human, Or undeserving of God's grace. But enemies of God's people are enemies of God. It is a terrible and frightening thing to be an enemy of God. And we are never told when earthly judgment might come. And in this passage, the Lord's anointed is sent for judgment upon these 200 Philistines. And this judgment came quickly and swiftly. And this is a sobering reminder to us that Jesus, as the anointed one of God, has the authority to bring judgment quickly and swiftly, and we ought never forget that now is the time to repent and turn from our sins. That delay is dangerous. Okay, coming back to our story, we're talking about jealousy Uh, We're trying to put to to death jealousy forever, and we want to know, does God actually address those deepest aches and longings of our hearts? Does he actually see them and care? In Saul's violent request, Mickle learned that her father didn't care for her emotions at all, but was willing to use them for his own violent ends. How do you think Mickle felt in that moment? The deepest longings of her heart revealed and used against her to put the person that she loves in mortal danger, and all of this by her own father. Jealousy destroys ourselves, our friends and families, and our communities. I'm sure she had to wonder, would David accept? Would he pay it? Would he pay it begrudgingly? Would it affect the beginning of their marriage? Because would David bitterly resent the bride price demanded, and so come to resent Mikkel herself? David accepts the challenge, dangerous as it is. Because it pleased David to become the king's son-in-law. And it appears that David also loved Michal, Loved her enough to leave no doubt of how far he would go to earn it. He would go above and beyond. The story wastes no time. In verses 26 and 27, David killed not only 100 Philistines, but 200. Now I'd like to ask you the question, how do you think Michal felt now? No resentment on behalf of David, no begrudging. David's extravagant, above and beyond payment, at extreme risk to himself, revealed to Mickel something about David's feelings for her. <coughs> Excuse me. David loved her enough to not just pay the bare minimum, but to pay extravagantly. She was far more valued than she dared dream. And she wasn't valued by just anyone, but by the Lord's anointed. When we see ourselves through the price paid for us, we see that our king loves us, not only to pay the bare minimum, but to pay extravagantly. And if the love is this extravagant, He sees our deepest cares and longings and doesn't use them for his own malicious and violent ends, but uses them to communicate his love to us. Do you know what it cost to redeem you? Do you know how far Jesus was willing to go? Do you know what risks he was willing to take? Do you know the punishment that he would endure, the blood that he would shed, the death that he would die because you are so valuable to him? When we see ourselves through this payment, through what it costs to redeem us to himself, it changes everything about our jealousy. It means that when God changes our plans and takes away our greatness, we can yield and celebrate someone else's because we know how much we are loved. It means that we can serve others faithfully for our entire lives, building the kingdom of God with zero to no recognition because his kingdom is the one that matters, not our own. We know that he sees and he cares for our deepest longings because he would sacrifice himself in order to make all wrongs right. In his kingdom... We are loved and valued. In His kingdom, we are given a place. And it isn't some forgettable, lowly place. We've been given the title of son and daughter, friend of the living God. Brothers and sisters, our jealousy is ultimately overrun because we know the Lord's anointed in His goodness. But even as He seeks, his glory. And even as we work to build His kingdom, that His love is through all pieces and confirms to us that we are His and He is ours. Now, God wanted us not only to know His goodness, but also to be able to taste it upon our lips. And so the Lord's anointed one gave us this symbol here uh, not just the symbol um, in rite of baptism, but the symbol in rite of the Lord's supper. This bread that symbolizes His body. Broken, this, this wine which represents his blood shed. The costly, extravagant sacrifice to redeem you to himself. God's anointed the night that he was betrayed. He took bread and having blessed it, he broke it. And he turned and he gave it to his disciples as I am ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. Now this isn't Trinity's table or our denominations. It is the Lord Jesus Christ's table. He invites you to this table. Those of you who have been baptized into his name are called to examine yourselves, To remember the goodness that you have been shown by Christ, your Savior. To repent of your jealousy and sins and come in total dependence with nothing in your hands. To cling to the body and the blood of Jesus alone. To taste it. And simple though it is, know that it is good. If you haven't been baptized, or even if you have and you're unsure of his goodness or these promises that he makes, I'd ask you to refrain from this meal. Um, and not declare something with your outward actions that's not an inward reality, Um, we would love to invite you back another day. If you've got questions, um, if this has left you with questions, please talk to myself or Kyle. We'd love to answer some of those questions and and have you come another day. In a moment, I'll pray, and then we can come down the center aisle to the two serving stations on my right and my left. Um, The servers will then hand you the bread, and there will be red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. Um, I know that there is gluten-free over there right just over there so if you do require gluten-free bread please go that way Um, if you would please pray with me lord jesus god's anointed one you paid for us extravagantly by the power of your spirit i ask that you would allow this bread and this cup to confirm your great love for us may this sacrifice be the motivation for prioritizing your kingdom in your glory. And may we taste in this meal your love. May we taste peace with God. May we we be welcomed to the family table with open arms. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.